0: Hi internet, hi radio show listeners, We're I'm here today with Ross Payton of Roleplaying Public Radio fame, um, we're going to be talking about tabletop games and in general how to create systems and stuff like that, so if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio, uh, and this
1: is not Roleplaying Public Radio, but this is the Drunken and Ugly, and uh, hi Travis, how you doing? I, I won't do the announcer voice anymore, so...
0: Oh, but the announcer voice is the best. <laughs> I, I don't have an announcer voice. I I wish I did. Uh, my announcer voice is I just hide my southern my southern drawl. Well, all right, fair enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for letting me talk to you. Um, I'm wondering if you could give every the uh, listeners kind of a personal history of uh your gaming, your writing, design, kind of who you sure. are and what you do for people that don't know what role-playing public radio are. Uh, well, role-playing
1: public radio uh started the the proto rvpr started back all the way in 2005 uh where we started doing comedic gaming radio play sketches based on the uh writing of al bruno 3 ab3 uh from the rpg.net uh, forums uh but it started as a regular podcast in 2007 after i went to the gen con to the first uh, for the first time and it was sort of a monthly advice podcast and then in 2009 i started rppr actual play where we recorded game sessions and i posted them online uh and that's been we do one episode every five days so that's six episodes a month plus a monthly podcast uh plus interviews and other specials on occasion and uh so it's gone in so that's the podcast it won an any for best rpg podcast in 2012 uh and we recently started a patreon with another podcast called RPPR After Hours, where we review old bad, well, usually kind of hilarious uh, gaming supplements, uh, and uh, so yeah, so it's sort of diversifying. And we, I, in terms of my background as a writer, I started freelance writing for RPGs in, or also around 2005. Uh, first writing for Nights at the Dinner Table, and then just little D20 PDFs. Uh, and then I got had my first book with Arc Dream Publishing, uh, Curriculum of Conspiracy, which is a supplement for Monsters and Other Childish Things. Uh, and then from there, uh, Road Trip, which is a campaign for Monsters and Other Childish Things, which you guys on the Trunk and Ugly have run a large chunk of. Uh, and then uh, I've also self-published my own work, uh, Zombies of the World, uh, which is a field guide to 20 species of zombies. Not specifically gaming, but it is. Uh, it's very it's illustrated by my book. and then uh, I've also published recently Base Raiders, uh, which is a superhero RPG where the idea is you dungeon crawl abandoned superhero and villain bases to get their superpower stuff sources and juice yourself up with superpowers and then sell the others in the black market because you're heroes and that's what heroes do, right? Uh, you're capitalist heroes, I guess. And, uh, so I'm, I've also written for post-human studios for Eclipse phase. Uh, one of the books I w- worked on firewall just came out recently, uh, which is for Eclipse phase and other stuff for arc dream as well. And a few other publishers. And, uh, so yeah, uh, freelance writing, writing my own stuff, podcasting. I, I do a lot of the tabletop stuff. So that's sort of my professional and there's like a portfolio on slangdesigncom portfolio. If you care to see all my writing credits. I, actually, I kind of need to update that. I haven't put Firewall on that. So, yeah. Anyway, that's me.
0: Yeah, thanks. That sounds really exciting. I know I'm a big fan of Eclipse Phase, and you, if you can't tell, the Drunken Ugly is a big fan of Monsters. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I, you I like have run think... more
1: Monsters at this point than I have. Uh, so... so
0: Yeah, it's still a big inspiration. I know for me, I still write... I'm a Monsters and Little Fears guy, so whenever I write or design a game, I try and do it so it can run in either system. That's (laughs) an odd task that's been kind of fun to deal with. And EP is just EP, and that game is amazing. Um, So yeah, uh, I guess... Well, while we're talking about kind of favorites and what you've done, do you have a favorite system you've worked on, you've played, that you run? I mean, you have – you, you, you your, your site's full of them. You've got it ranging yeah. from base raiders to eclipse phase to monsters to – I think I, thought, I remember seeing a fiasco once.
1: We've done several fiasco games, and we have another one in the can. Uh, we have quite a, a large backlog of games. Um, and uh, I don't have a single favorite one system because there are so many. Um, Close is obviously one of my favorite systems uh, because uh, it's a sci-fi game that gets everything right in terms of um, it's interesting from a number of different a- angles. You can run multiple types of games with it. You know, a lot of sci-fi games are like you're the du- you're the Star Trek guys go explore new planets. There's not really models for other campaign groups um, or Star Wars, which is you're you're either Jedi or you're smugglers. Uh, or Stormtroopers, that's pretty much the three flavors I've heard of. Uh, But in Eclipse Phase, you can be criminals, you could be, you know, firewall agents, you could be media stars, uh, you could just be trying to survive. Uh, It has a lot of variety to it. So, uh, obviously, Monsters and Other Childish Things is another personal favorite, uh, because of the, I love the setting, the idea of the setting, the the tone of it. Uh, It's, you know, a lot of games... Being kids is fun and everyone can role play being a kid and monsters. Also, you can be sort of like a satiric uh, commentary on modern culture and stuff like that. Uh, That's like for road trip. A lot of it was an homage to various everything from Mark Twain to the Power Rangers. Um, And uh, but obviously Cthulhu is another big uh, either call or more recently trail. I've been running trail of Cthulhu. Uh, Using the for the campaign uh, Masks of Nile Lothotep, which is a Call of Cthulhu campaign, I converted it to Trail. So I really like the gumshoe system as well. Um, And then Fate, obviously, for base raiders. We've also, Aaron's been running Atomic Robo, uh, which is a newer Fate core role playing game. Uh, So, and I mean, obviously, there's always going to be a place in my heart for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, We've done some one shots of 5th Ed DD. I don't think we'll do a campaign of it just because. We have quite a bit uh, <laughs> to do. There's uh, right always
0: now. more coming up and more playing. Yeah, it's hard I to mean, always squeeze something new in.
1: Yeah, that's one thing is like I'm always you know, people can settle into a niche and they do the one game and they never try anything new. And the thing is that we really are in sort of a golden era of tabletop games because there's such a great variety of really cool and really fun games. Um, we're in fact we're playing a new game on Tuesday, uh, a couple days from this recording, uh, where I picked up Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, which is from Goodman Games, and it's sort of like a homage to D&D from the 1970s, not even the 80s. Uh, So it's very much a van art kind of game, like airbrushed wizards and uh, metal music kind of thing. And I've been reading through it. So like we're doing an adventure where everyone gets a squad of peasants, level zero characters, and you have like one weapon and one random item like it can be anything from you know a a uh, a jar of honey to a pair of scissors to a suit and that like that's all you get but each player gets like four characters and if any one of them makes it through the dungeon they actually get to level up and be an adventurer uh so uh i'm really we're all looking forward to having that because we just finished our Eclipse space campaign um but yeah like that's the thing is like i'm trying to keep trying new games out new systems out Uh, And not only just for the benefit of the listeners so they can have something new on the podcast, but so uh, because you learn interesting things about game design from it. And so as a game designer, you kind of don't want to get stuck in a rut. Uh, So that's uh, and like Dungeon Crawl Classics does some very interesting things uh, for a fantasy game that I really like. Uh, So it'll be really fun to try out.
0: Yeah, that sounds actually really interesting. I can, I can kind of see somebody framing that as, "Let's go do a do a uh, company workshop through the dungeon." All the new guys get to go do a company workshop, and if you survive, congratulations. Yeah, Yeah, you get to be a wizard, Uh, or a thief, or a fighter.
1: But like they have, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different rules. Like one thing they even for spells you get, like, a... It's a skill check, and the, the effect is based on your skill check, so you can critically fail and be mutated and gain, like, a third eye or something. Or you can cast it at, you know, at a much higher level than a, you normally could. Uh, so, it's kind of like Dungeon World in that respect, where you can either succeed incredibly, or, like, succeed with complications, or just critically fail. Um, and so... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, running that. Uh, and it comes in, this. the book itself is like this massive phone book size, hardcover book with just, I mean, it, it just screams like wizard rock, you know, that kind of... Uh, screams ancient tome. Yeah, exactly. No, and just like 1970s, you know, metal music. I mean, it's just uh, highly entertaining uh, on that level. So, yeah, um, there's no one true system. Uh, it's just what I'm feeling. Uh, but yeah, there are some favorites and you'll see those on the site a lot more than the other systems. Um, you know, there's not, not so much palladium, uh, no riffs. Yeah. There is one riffs game in our podcast, uh, which I ran the riffs, the eliminators, uh, but that was more to annoy Caleb and just for the shits and giggles, uh, basically, uh, it's yeah. Palladium is not a good system. It is. Uh, the, it hasn't been revised since the early '80s, and it shows.
0: Um, I think I, I think we have one of those coming up where we're playing Forced Animals. I can't remember what it's called, but Matt Camp and found it. It's,
1: the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness RPG. No, it's,
0: okay, it's we all play, play Forced Animals, and the Forest Animals can't talk.
1: Uh, oh, it, he was telling me about that. Yeah, yes. I, I, I can't remember what it's called either, but it does look ridiculous. Uh, he told <laughs> me it's it's, our, it's not like it's one of those games that you can tell they didn't play test at all because there's some like in the scenario they provide, there's some really broken things in it. Uh, but yeah, uh, it will be interesting. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Um, so yeah, no one true system for me.
0: Yeah, I, I I like that idea. I've I've been I'm fairly new at this, so I'm branching out and just kind of gleaning from you and everybody else. I find new systems, but I guess while we're talking about systems, um, when you're designing either for a system or for a game, what do you start with? Uh, do you usually start with a system design or do you start with a setting design? I know you have the game design workshop where you help yeah. Caleb's... Caleb, yeah. Yes, uh, worked through making his game. Um, yeah. That one sa- started out with a setting first, and it was building in or and building into a system. Do you have a preference?
1: Well, what I do is, I mean, I think the first thing a game designer, in just if you're being a creative in general, uh, I think one one important rule is to know your limitations. It's one thing to think I'm going to create the best fucking game that's ever existed, and that's that's laudable, but like realistically you have to know have an idea of what you can really pull off and what you can't pull off uh and so and Caleb and I have different approaches so um, Caleb yeah we have a series of podcasts on RPPR uh, called the game designers workshop and each episode we talk about the process of making a game like he's making a game called Red Markets which has its own original system and he's making it about being living in a post zombie apocalypse uh society like the the zombies have shown up and but society has sort of started rebuilding and so you're playing scavengers who are basically on the fringes of society you're extremely poor and the whole point of the game is to not be a scavenger/adventurer anymore It's to make enough money so you cannot have to face zombies every day and he's creating his own system for that because that was his that was his vision and there's no system uh, out there that he saw that could really do it because he's trying to simulate capitalist economics, uh, you know, trying supply and demand and a lot of other things that wouldn't really work uh, in an existing system. Uh, For me, it's sort of a combination. I think of, like, first, what is the idea I want to do? And two, uh, is there an existing framework that would work well for it uh, that I could use? Because the great thing about tabletop gaming is there are a lot of what they call open game license or creative common license games where you can take the rule... The rules, the framework of the rules, and copy them, and then rewrite them to suit them y- yourself. As long as your version is also other people can copy. So, like for the first game I started from scratch uh, was Base Raiders, and Base Raiders, the idea came from the Heroes of New Arcadia, which is a Wild Talents campaign I ran on RPPR actual play, uh, and so I ran it in Wild Talents, which is not open, uh, which is not an open system, and I asked Arc Dream. If I could use their system for my own standalone book, but they, they you know they, they, I, they didn't get back to me on that. So I decided to look for other solutions. And it's a superhero game at its core, and I didn't want to try and create a superhero power system f- from scratch because those are very hard to do. I mean, and there have been some r- – r- uh, and I also wanted to make it a standalone game. So those were my design goals. Superhero game standalone. I didn't want to do a campaign setting book which would have required people to buy another uh, book to run. And that so that ruled out means and masterminds in Savage world, which are sort of the other big superhero and, uh, champions and basically every other thing, uh, every other superhero RPG out there. So I looked around and I saw the Kerberos club, which had fate, uh, a version of fate that had superhero power creation rules in it. And fate is open game license. It's all OGL. So it's also creative commons now. Um, or at least the later versions of it. So I said, oh, well, that looks good. Uh, and so I used that as the core of base raiders. I rewrote it. Kerberos Club is a Victorian superhero system, so I sort of you know, rewrote the rules to be more modern, uh, replacing words like skulk with stealth and that kind of thing. And so that became the core of base raiders, is to take those rules and apply to my setting so people could buy one book and run the game. And uh, that's worked out fairly well for me, Uh, we had a Kickstarter. We raised like 14 grand for it and it's done pretty well uh, on sales. It was in the bundle of holding last year. And um, so my next game, I'm actually, I am working on another one, uh, which was called ruin Uh, and it's the theme of that is architectural horror. It's about how place and environment changes people and you know how it reveals so haunted houses. But think more like the shiny or you know, the Overlook Hotel than a traditional Victorian mansion. House or like of Leaves. Si- House of Leaves is another big one. Uh, Silent Hill is another big one. Uh, the, like Silent Hill 2, uh, especially not maybe not so much the movie, uh, but that I will use the Gumshoe because that's also been released as an OGL and Creative Commons licensed uh, RPG. Uh, and I really like the gumshoe system it's very simple very elegant so you can easily rewrite stuff so um, I'm creating uh, some new rules for that and I'm creating the setting for it uh, like characters get trapped in this place and they have to figure a way to survive and get out and that's um, and so that's so that's what my approach is I think about like I know that I'm not as like, I don't have the patience that Caleb has for creating new mechanics. I kind of want to just get... I just want to get the mechanics out of the way so I can get to the setting and the scenario stuff. And so, like, I prefer to use existing framework uh, rules. Now, this isn't... I, I will design standalone games like I, ha- I have before, like Kill Explosion, which is designed to be a PvP, player versus player RPG, because RPGs are usually cooperative, like you're a team of guys going out to do something. Uh, and so I created my own system for that and I'm not opposed to doing it again, but that was because of the design goal. And it's not as, it wasn't as ambitious as ruin or base Raiders is. I mean, base Raiders is like 146,000 words, uh, 60,000 words worth of rules and then 80,000 words worth of text or setting material and scenario material. And, uh, so I just didn't want to try and play test new rules on top of all that setting material and everything. So, Because I wanted to get it out there. I don't want to work on the same book for five years. Um, But yeah.
0: I think that's a a reasonable goal.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, you see, like, there's a term in the industry uh, for what they call fantasy heartbreakers. And fantasy heartbreakers are sort of RPGs that are basically people who've only played one system. Usually D&D, Dungeons & Dragons. And they decide, well, I'm going to make D&D, but better. And it's going to be the best game ever. Uh, and so they pour their heart into it, but then, you know, and they may spend a lot of their own money to, to pay for art and print books, but nobody cares because it's not, it's like D and D, but it does skills differently or it does this differently or it has, you know, like we don't need that. We want people in RPG people, when they're buying RPGs, they want something totally different. If they want to play D and D, they'll play D and D. They're not going to play. D&D but different you know they're gonna they're gonna want to play like oh secret agents versus vampires oh yeah no I'll play nice black agents you know or I'll you know uh, or I want to play in a capitalist uh, post zombie apocalypse society oh red markets whenever that comes out Um, and you there are some of these people, the reason I, I bring it up is because a lot of these heartbreakers, they spend years on it. They detail a world, you know they spend tens of thousands of words describing this. and they have maps and they have all this stuff about these fantasy societies that just like and they get love with the world building and all this other stuff. But like, yeah, you have to also think you if you're creating a game, you're trying to communicate, you're trying to share it with other people. you have to you should actually pay attention to what other people want in a book, in a game, uh, rather than just what what you're really fascinated with. I mean, it's good that you're motivated by that, but it's a two-way street. You know, you want to communicate. You want to share your game. You want to make a game. You want to make sure that other people want to play it. And a lot of game designers don't really
0: – or, you know,
1: uh, so a lot of people don't get that part of it. You know, uh, think about the other people. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's that's a big thing about it in the design courses I've taken. Is always stop and you, you have to see what the users want. You can't just sit there and design for yourself because you'll design into a corner in a niche that nobody cares about.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you you, you it's something that's flawed, but you know people pay attention to is better than something you think is perfect, but no one ever looks at. I mean, that's yeah, you know, kind of a truism. But you, you, it's just. I, I kind of beat the, I kind of think of that all the time, but like a lot of people don't. They just you know they get too stuck in their own little mental perspective, and they don't you know think about the outside world. So anyway,
0: no, that's fine. That's actually yeah. interesting. That's uh, my I I I'm a master's student here at Georgia Tech, and that's a, something similar that I'll probably end up expressing later. Um, uh, it's a my master's project is trying to design game worlds not systems that are that are that are trying trying to create a framework that makes it so that they are uh that allows for people to work with the system or Mm -hmm. work inside of it or build stories and trying to figure out a framework for that so hearing you know about fantasy heartbreakers and hearing about hey this is not what you need to do or just talking to designers in general is always really helpful and really interesting because it gives me kind of guidelines to think about and reflect on my own and you know opens the doors for other places to look interesting yeah um there yeah uh
1: settings are also important i mean a lot of like the best stuff that's out there are just settings for existing systems you know like uh ken height and robin laws do a lot of that with their stuff of course they create their own systems and then they write settings for it so you know like i'm looking forward to the dracula dossier uh which is a knight's black agent setting Campaign setting, which is like, hey, you're gonna go fight Dracula. Your spies go fight Dracula. We that book that it was about him. Yeah, we we redacted some things. So here's the unredacted version. He's still alive. Go get him. You know, and I'm have like, fun, oh. guys. Yeah, no, it's like the, the the central handout of the campaign is Dracula unredacted. Like they're taking the the the, the actual novel which is public domain and they're just adding a bunch of stuff to it to like say oh yeah we were trying the reason why dracula was in london is because the british were trying to recruit him as a spy and (laughs) that went poorly uh or
0: swimmingly depending on how you view the situation if you're not a vampire it went poorly (laughs) yeah uh Uh, you said kin Wright and robert lawn uh kin
1: height h-i-t H-I-T-E, uh, and Robin Laws. Uh, they're big game designers. Uh, they've done... Uh, d- Robin Laws came up with a gumshoe system, and Kenneth Hite has... Uh, I'll just type their names in so you can look up. Uh, they've mm-hmm. done a ton of stuff. Robin Laws also designed Feng Shui, the action RPG, um, the Hill Folk system. Uh, they Their credits just are, you know several feet long at this point i mean they have dozens of credits uh but yeah um so yeah anyway
0: uh yeah no no, thanks for that um because like i was explaining my 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 professors and stuff are focused on the fiasco style the ones that have won oh, in the yeah. recent years. Um, uh, the storytelling school. Yeah. The storytelling school, and that that's generally where my focus on and kind of how I make games is the f- storytelling one, and the systems help with it. So any 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 type like I like we explained, you know, more more information, seeing other people's work helps you kind of grow as a designer.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would look at the Hillfolk system, which is a dramatic, very storytelling focus game uh, that Robin Laws came up with. Uh, that's meant to there's actually uh, an srd of it uh, srd means system reference document because uh, it's open
0: do
1: uh here it is
0: like the dnd and pathfinder srds
1: yes uh so uh you can read the rules of. i think if you're especially interested in sort of storytelling focused in games uh the drama system is what which is the system for hill folk uh it would be worth checking out uh but yeah I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but it looks very cool. Caleb has an idea for doing a campaign set in drama system where we're basically playing um, a vice news crew. So we're going out to do uh, exploitation slash news of the third world uh, and trying not to get killed as we're covering the gun markets of Pakistan or something like that. Uh, Are you familiar with vice news? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's no. It's I, I I need to have more time to listen to you guys because you, you you and the the podcast well, we, I'm in now are like the two that got me interested in RPGs.
1: Oh well, uh, awesome. Uh, I'm glad uh, we had we. I, it's always good to hear that people actually you know listen and uh, like and are affected by our podcast. Like, oh, I bought this game because of this. like that. That's awesome. Um. Yeah, we, we haven't actually played it yet. We we Caleb has an idea for the campaign, but he hasn't actually uh, done it yet. Because we have... Like, I just finished an Eclipse phase campaign that I started in July of 2013. Uh, and dragged out to 20-some sessions. And then Caleb's wanting to playtest Red Markets as a campaign. Uh, and that... I don't know how many sessions that will last. And in between that... Yeah, even though we game like twice a week, we're still have a huge backlog of games we want to run. Like, I, I buy new games every year at Gen Con, and, like, oh, God, it, the stack keeps getting bigger and bigger.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I think it's up to four or five nights a week for the drunk and ugly that they play, and it's just growing and growing. I, I yeah. know I want to run things and just trying to find and squeak it out, because the thing I'm running for the patrons right now the one that actually got me interested in this whole world design idea and you know how do you create a narrative environment um i was talking to my professor about the, what i do on the radio or for the podcast and what i was doing for yeah. the patrons and she i i was handing in my dr- uh, my draft for my master's proposal and she just kind of took it and threw it in the trash and says do what you just told me and just write a paper about that or do a project about that i was like i can do that yeah i'm no mm, mm, <laughs>
1: that's big yeah uh nice um yeah i mean narrative environments uh like that there is a difference i mean rpg writing is an interesting challenge because it's not quite fiction and it's it's sort of like it's it's fictional technical writing uh because also the tone and the voice are often sort of like the textbook kind of style here's how the world is and here's this and here's that and Uh, Only you're making shit up instead of like uh, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell you're writing. Well, the orcs are the powerhouse of the the tribal lands, you know, Uh, so. And it's up
0: to the players and the GM to create the non rigid terminology and bring life to it.
1: Right, and the other thing is that you can't, if you're, especially if you're more used to writing other styles of fiction, you actually can't resolve a narrative. Like the whole point of RPG writing is that you create frameworks for narrative, but you're not creating. So you say, "Oh, well, there's a rumor that, or you know, the orcs stole the the goblet of power." And they're going to do something with it someone better do something about that where it, but you can't say, oh, and the hero should go here and to, 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 to get the aid of the uh, uh, the Sphinx and then go over here to resolve this puzzle and then they can get the goblet of power back. You can't get you. You can't write that all out because you're just wrote a story instead of giving them the setup to a story. I mean, the story happens at the table. And you kind of have to step back and provide, all right, this will happen, and then this will ha- this could happen, this might happen. So, like, when I write Eclipse Phase, I'm writing within a, an established setting, like, with a continuity, and, like, there's already characters in it. And then I'm writing the, like, the style of it is actually kind of unusual, because you're writing in the voice of a character in the setting who's writing reports and briefings that the fire, other firewall agents will read at a later time. Like, here's what we know about this area of the solar system. Like here's the Jovian Republic. Here's what they're doing. Here's what I think about them. These guys are, you know. uh, And we heard rumors that they might be doing this and they might be doing that. But you can't be like, well, I I went to the Jovian Republic and I killed all the bad guys and I saved the day. And uh, it's just awesome now. You know, you can't do that. Like one of the um, setting elements that we've argued about endlessly on it is uh, in one of the books is uh, Sunward. They talk about how in the soul like near the sun, just in orbit around the sun are the these. sun whales. The space whales, yeah, the solarians. And uh, Caleb hates them because of many reasons. And I I thought like, you know what, I'm gonna run a fucking space whale scenario just to tweet Caleb. But then I read I reread all the material for it. And I'm like, I can't do anything with these guys because they're just there. They're space hippie whales. They swim around or they float around outside the uh sun and that's it like there's they're, they're 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 not even at the point where they're trying to save the community center from being torn down by the evil space yuppie like it, there's less conflict in the around the sun than there is in a john hughes 1980s teen comedy like that's the uh, uh problem with these fucking space whales like what kind of scenario could you use with them nothing they're just fucking there and like it whereas in the rest of the solar system oh well the hyper corporations want to uh oppressed people and they're, they they want to and but there's these people on Mars who want to reclaim it for democracy or these and then there's these space fascists and these other space fascists and these space terrorists and there's just chaos all over the system like
0: and then uh, there's space whales
1: Yeah, and then the space whales, they're not even... They're just kind of... They're there. They're just hanging out. Nobody gives a shit about them. Uh, Nobody wants to kill them. Nobody wants to enslave them. Uh, Nobody wants to take over the sun. uh, Or anything like that. They just kind of... Yeah, we're just studying the sun. We're here. you know. So it's like... It's terrible from a game perspective because it's... What can I do with it? Nothing. There's no story hook in it. So... Uh, that's the one tie, that's the only thing in Eclipse phase that's not a good story hook. You can't really hang an adventure off of it. So, anyway, Space Whales.
0: I, lo- I love talking about Space Whales that people that know EP, because it does elicit that reaction. It's just like, oh, this is the worst thing. And then and someone's like, I'm going to do something with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with it. And then they're like, I can't do anything with
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the only one who's had that kind of reaction. Uh, it's just, yeah, um... It is endlessly entertaining uh, to talk about space whales. It's kind of funny because, like, Caleb had to write an adventure for – or he he didn't have to, but he, he did write an adventure for um, Eclipse Phase. And in it, they said, okay, we'll get the science of this – the MacGuffin, the, the central MacGuffin. Like, give us a more plausible scientific explanation of this. So he's like, well, fuck, I have to do cognitive brain science research to figure out how this MacGuffin would work. And his editor – who's the one who's telling him to be more scientific, was the guy who wrote up space whales in the first part. It's like, yeah, oh, you're really scientifically rigorous having space whales around the sun, uh, but well, I cl- have to be, yeah. Clearly so. he heard about
0: Caleb's dislike of the space whales and was just yeah, taking no. out on him. <laughs> clearly. How dare <laughs> someone,
1: how dare you insult my space whales, uh, my precious space whales. Um, there's actually a whole Tumblr called like fuckyasspacewhales.tumblr. Uh, Excuse
0: me, uh, I have to look this up. Uh,
1: fuck yeah. I, it's something like that. I, yeah, it is. Fuck yeah, because it's like a whole thing. Um,
0: 87 pages of fuck yeah, space whales.
1: Yes. Uh, I sent it to Caleb. He's like, god damn it. <laughs> he, it was quite entertaining. Um, but yeah, so um, that's the challenge of writing a narrative environment. Uh, it's not quite... Like fiction, it's not quite like technical writing and you have to know what we, it, you have to create material that is useful for the game master or for the player. Like, I mean, if it's for the player it's like, oh, here's a place your character could, could come from and uh, something that could connect to your character's backstory or something that would be interesting you know, uh, something that, that could generate conflict within your scenario I mean, that's what you're looking for is conflict uh, either procedural you know, we have to solve a mystery we have to fight a bad guy Or internal, you know, like, can my character be accepted by his tribe? Or can I uh, find meaning in my life or something like that? Uh, Most games are procedural, but, like, drama system, which I mentioned earlier, talks a lot about, like, those internal goals. Can I prove myself worthy of my friends or something like that? Um, But, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of the the reason I enjoy RPGs and and tabletop specifically is because they have this wide range of abilities that you can do Mm -hmm. and i guess that brings up another question now that we're actually kind of sitting on it it's why specifically did you go to tabletop how does it uh, why did you you know go there why didn't you maybe work on video games or write on books like why uh why why have you stuck with tabletops and kind of what is their appeal as opposed to other forms of uh, narratives
1: um I think the main appeal, I mean, like I started playing young uh, and yeah, I did start with Palladium and uh, D&D, but (laughs) I eventually learned better. Uh, But the thing about RPGs, that sort of really endlessly uh, interested me is that it's a collaborative story and that no one knows how it's going to end when the when it begins. Like, you know, if you're telling a story to other people, the storyteller knows how it ends. Like, that's the whole point. Uh, but, like, it's a story in RPG you can't predict always. Sometimes you can be like, okay, I bet this player's gonna do this and someone's gonna do that, but you can't, and with also with the randomization of the dice or, you know, the cards or, there's usually some randomization element within an RPG uh, you cannot guarantee to know how the story is resolved. Will the heroes kill the bad guy or not? Who's gonna get the treasure? Uh, are the players gonna do something stupid? Are they going to uh, snatch uh, def- you know, victory from the jaws of defeat. Or are they going to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? And uh, yeah, so the players yeah tend to do ridiculous things, um, and that's something that always brings me back to the table is because I don't know how it's going to how, how things will wind up, um, and so that that's one of the reasons. I mean, I have worked on video games. There was a video game. Uh, Delver's Drop that I've I've done some level design for. They're sort of stuck in development hell right now uh, because it was a Kickstarter back game, um, and I'm, I would like to work on video games again, but it's a tough industry to get into, especially if you're not willing to move, uh, which would kill the podcast because all the other people who work on my podcast live in the same town as I do, and uh, so that it's kind of a catch-22 in my situation, um, but it's uh, and then you know like writing fiction i have written some fiction and uh, like zombies of the world uh and some short stories uh and i plan to write more uh it's just i you know, have a knack for it and i with is really also when i started that like i got such a good response that like a, a feedback cycle sort of happened like i, I would post an episode i get comments be like, oh i really like this and then like I did Kickstarters early on, and people really enjoyed that. And they're like, oh, so I, I saw the signs that I should keep going. Uh, so those – it's yeah, so that, it's sort of a combination of things. But it's just like it, every the more time I put in, it's still rewarding. I still get more than my uh, time's worth of enjoyment and interest and now money because I write for it and I have the Patreon and everything. So, uh, Yeah. So just a combination of things.
0: Yeah. No, that's uh, – the, the the storytelling aspect is what really got me interested when I was first yeah. – when I first was listening. I was – you know, I've, I've always played RPGs and video games and I've always read books. But the fact that there was this it's, – it's organized chaos. The randomization you mentioned, it, it, it allows for – you can expect something to happen, but it never quite knows what's going to happen because it is instead of one person controlling it or, is it, right. uh, or instead of a pre-written story – There is a framework, but the vines that are the players can just kind of splinter off and do whatever they want.
1: Right. I mean, like some of my players are kind of more predictable than others. But like in I'm never sure, like Caleb loves scheming and it becomes kind of a a player versus GM thing where he's trying to like he won't tell me what his character's planning until he does it. So I won't have any advantage over him as game master. Uh, So there's that, which I find interesting. And then like Aaron. Uh, who's a player often goes on these crusades or, or tangents that are very hard to predict you know he will well okay your character's unarmed it's night someone's shooting at you from the forest you can take shelter in the cabin and he won't be able to shoot you because you'll be behind a solid wall no i will charge into the woods you're
0: unarmed. I'll take my patents off and charge into the woods let's go yeah,
1: yeah i will i will I can beat him up even though he has a gun, and it's night, and I'm unarmed. Okay, well, this is Call of Cthulhu. You have, like, eight hit points to your name. Let's see how this goes. Okay, you, you're all right. You're dead! You you actually got into range with him, but he, he killed you. Oh, wow. That was the first encounter of the game. That's a Hex Hollow. That was actually one of our uh, actual plays, and Aaron just... If first encounter, charged into the woods at night. And I'm like, I did not expect that. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, I'm more of the Caleb style from what people yeah. have been explaining to me. I I, I, I tend to kind of throw yeah. things at the GM without realizing it would be distracting. And uh, a lot of the GMs seem to appreciate that because it keeps them on their toes that I've talked to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, it's also the combination of factors, how players will interact with other players, how they'll interpret different dice rolls. Uh, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there there's just a lot to uh, enjoy about it. Um, and again, that's why I also try new systems and games out, is uh, so I can, if you keep playing the same type of game over and over again, eventually you, you figure it, you, it gets kind of broke. Like, you know, there are people who played the 20, you know, five-year D&D campaigns, and I'm like, I like D&D, but, you know, that's there's too much of a good thing. You can have too much D and D. Um, yeah,
0: no, I completely understand with that. And, um, I guess, let's see, I'm going through my list of questions now, and I've been hopping around. Um, I guess since we're talking about players now, the the idea of the social contract for your, for games in general, and how you know you have a pre-written rules on how to play, uh, do you have a social contract with your group, or is it just something that y'all have kind of felt out? And do you have a general guideline that you would suggest to people who are just starting games, uh, tabletop games, what a good guideline for a social tra- contract could be?
1: Um, pretty open communications. Actually, listen to the other players at the table, uh, and try not to get offended if there's a miscommunication. And I mean, one thing also like in terms of content, make sure everyone's on the exact same uh, level. Like, you do not want to surprise your group with like, oh, we're gonna have a f-, you know, you 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 sell them a lighthearted like action pulpy game, and then like it turns very grim dark and like. Uh, with, you know, adult subject matter. And, you know, you definitely want to be careful about that. Um, But in terms of that communication, um, makes every player controls their own character. Don't have one player trying to hog the spotlight too much. Uh, Don't, if there's a miscommunication, try to stop and listen to them uh, and understand their point of view. We've had some cases where somebody just, like, here's what we're going to do. Okay. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you just said. No, no, no do this. No, I will do the exact opposite. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And it's just like, are you even listening to us? Uh, And there's don't, you know, keep your feelings of what happens to you as a player separate from your character. So if someone else dicks over your character, don't you know try not to take it personally. Uh, And I mean, we don't have like an explicit social contract. It's kind of built up over time and we are uh you know there every once in a while there are some tense moments i mean earlier on there were ones that were like there there was a moment in the new world campaign the dnd campaign we ran like around 2010 where two players got into an argument over some minor stupid thing and it just kind of totally derailed the game and it was just, like, hugely awkward and one player just left the campaign because he couldn't deal with the other player uh, and it's never been anything like that since then. Uh, so it's, yeah, don't be passive aggressive. Just be open and honest about what you want and, uh, in a game and with other people and acknowledge that, you know, uh, think about them, you know, don't make it all about you. A lot of problems happen because a player, doesn't even take other players into consideration. It's all about like me, 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 me. I want to be in the spotlight. I want to do this. I want to do that. Uh, I want to be special all the time. I want to, you know, and it's just like, it's a team effort, you know, it's a collaborative effort. Um, You know, it's like the the rule of improv, never say no. Always say yes, but, you know. Um, So yeah, basic things like that.
0: Okay. Um. So for the radio show, I'm gonna probably end this call or uh, this recording right now because it's sure. only an hour long show, and then I'll probably just restart this and stitch it together. So, because I have a few more questions. Um, okay. But I want to keep this kind of orderly for that. Sure. Uh, yeah, we've been talking with Ross Payton with Role Playing Public Radio. Um, if you're here for the Science Fiction Laboratory, we're about to end now. Uh, thanks, Ross, for being on. Um, we're going to continue this and possibly have another episode on this later, depending on how much more he lets me babble at him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's been great. Talk to you guys next time. <laughs> Remouncer voice. Um, so yeah, we're back with Ross Payton public, uh, Ross Payton public radio. No, Ross Payton with the role-playing public radio. Uh, if you're with the drunk and the ugly, you haven't heard a break at all. And I'm just talking to myself, sounding crazy. Uh, if you're from the radio, uh, this is another little clip that we will probably splice into a clip show later. Uh, you don't have to do the announcer voice since we've already talked. Unless you Uh, want to. But I
1: like doing the (laughs) announcer voice, yeah. Uh, sure, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we the first first half of this, we talked about, you know, gaming in general, game design, social contracts and kind of the, the narrative structure. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a final couple questions I have is do you have a favorite train wreck, uh, either failed system, character, uh, just an entire scenario uh, or well, scene? Failed,
1: well, failed system, train wreck system, obviously would be the Palladium system. Uh, it and especially Rifts because it is such a it's up the kitchen sink of adolescent power fantasies is how I because you can be a cyborg you can be a dragon you can be a dragon cyborg you can be a cyborg ninja you can be a techno wizard ninja you can be a uh, yeah uh there's there's I a lot nothing of nothing wrong with this well yeah it's just a terrible I mean honestly I would probably run play riffs if the system wasn't so utterly terrible. Uh, but it is, it is kind of goofy so I, I have a, a fond place in my heart for it um, and in terms of actual scenarios the most train wreckiest scenario I've ever been in uh, was a Call of Cthulhu scenario which is on our BPR actual play uh, listen to our podcast uh, and I'll send you the link to it, it's called The Haunting um, and what it is is um, one of our, the player I mentioned earlier, Aaron um, he was one year we, he was going to go to Gen Con to run scenarios for the first time. He was really nervous about it. So we were going to play – he was going to run some games for us so he'd get used to it. And so I suggested he run The Haunting, which is the uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario in the book – in the RPG, Call of Cthulhu, in the 6th and 5th edition. It's a classic. It's been around for decades. It's is your basic haunted house scenario. And he, then he was late for like an hour – and so we made our own characters and we were just waiting for him getting annoyed at him. So we made our characters worse and worse. And this was also Caleb's first time ever playing with us. And uh, so he had no idea what we were like. And so we just made the just the shittiest, most stupidest characters you can imagine. <laughs> like one character made a teenage like two care two players made characters that were ex-Mormon turned Scientologists. Uh, one of us uh, was playing one their teenage son and. And then I was the teenage son's social worker, but I maxed out all my firearm skills. So I called myself McBain. So I acted like, you know, action movie hero. Uh, and the other one played... Uh, Caleb played the youth pastor for the teenager. And so we just just barreled into the scenario. And I already knew the haunting, so I decided metagame. Like, I'm going to go to Death Trap A and stand out the window and hope that I get killed. Oh, come on, Aaron, you can kill me. You know, so we, it just... <laughs> It was a glory. It was a hot mess, uh, <laughs> and to say the least. And we were just total jerks. Uh, but we, you know, we got we finished it, and then uh, for some reason Caleb decided to play games again with us. Uh, but yeah, we um, that was the the worst, the most the train wreck scenario uh, in our in our in my playing history. So. Uh, just read the comments on that thing you can you can get a sense of what it was like uh, so yeah
0: that's that's great I also see that it was posted on April Fools I wonder if that was on purpose yeah
1: or... <laughs> oh no it was totally on purpose uh, we we've been doing April Fools like this year we've been doing April Fools for the last couple of years um, this year we did a get one where the gimmick was that we were because uh, people we play we, I never edit the session so like I will. Kate, uh, people bring snacks and they eat them. and so people like complain every once in a while about the hearing the noise. And so we just did a thing where like we just started munching on chips right next to the microphone and making more and more noise until somebody's like playing the trombone or an ocarina. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so uh, that was
0: yeah, and, and uh, I guess I didn't I, I think that's part of the appeal of the roundtable of you guys is that yeah. you can hear everything going on so you, yeah. you, you know it's a play environment the, the kind yeah. of the, depending on the podcast i know for the drunk and ugly it's a lot, it's a lot more like clean sounding so yeah. uh, cuz there's not that table we're doing it through skype like we're doing right now so it's a lot cleaner and you can kind of probably add more things into it but the tape, the, the fact that y'all are all like you said in the same town sitting around the table munching and eating adds this yeah. kind of hominess to the games when you listen to them
1: yeah, a lot. Some people have also that uh, they like hearing that kind of uh, live environment. So uh, yeah, no, it's. I, I and I'm just too lazy to edit. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to edit it. Uh, it's like each episode is at least two hours long. It's not going to happen. So um, that's also why I don't take out us and uh, other verbal tics, because again, way too much work. So for me lazy. Yeah.
0: I, 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 I'm I used to editing things for the radio show, so it's like, you need to edit things. Oh, do we need an editor for the show? Yeah, just send it to me. I'll edit some No, if file. you have the
1: energy, I mean, anything you can do to help the production value, but that's great. It's just, I, I know, again, know your limitations. I do not have the limit. I do not. If I did that, I would never get that kind of release schedule out. Because like, it's all me. I do all the back end. Uh. We have. I do all the editing. I maintain the website. I do all this shit. So, like, those other, yeah, they they, they just show up and play. <laughs> they're, they're using you. you. Yeah, Gosh. They, get, they get fans saying, oh, man, you're awesome, Tom. And they're like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, he, he did so much. He showed up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not venting. Not at all. Eh, it's fine. It's not like they'll ever listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess one final question before we go. Uh, the, what do you think it is that makes RPPR uh, so iconic to the uh, online community, the RPG online, or just into RPGs in general? Because it seems y'all have a great follower. I see your Patreon has exploded all over the place. Uh, uh, it has.
1: Uh, I did not expect that. Um, I think the biggest thing is that we have just longevity. We've been around, and we haven't pod faded. You know, We haven't given up the ghost, uh, and we've had a regular release cycle. Uh, and we've had really, really good campaigns. Uh, and I've been blessed with a really great group of players. I mean, yeah, I was just bitching about them, but they're all really talented. They are really fun to play with uh, in different ways. And uh, like the New World campaign, which is our d d campaign, which went for like 46 sessions, was just like uh, an amazing experience for everyone involved because we went from level one to level 30. Uh, and they had, it was a sandbox kind of campaign where players kind of shaped the world. Uh, and then, uh, Caleb ran no evil, the eclipse phase campaign, which a lot of people were introduced to eclipse, uh, eclipse phase through this, uh, actual play, uh, campaign. And, uh, then I ran the Heroes of new, York. you know, so these long running campaigns that people really developed interesting connections to the characters and the, the, to the plot. Um, and, uh, that we would, so I think there, is, and also we do a lot of, uh, different systems or not. A lot of the actual play, they just do one game, and that's the only game they do. And uh, we are like, no, we'll try something new. We'll, we, we'll do obscure games, you know, like The Quiet Year or Interest Buy. Uh, and so I think that's been just variety, uh, quality of the cast and uh, the games, and the fact we have a regular rele- re- uh, release cycle. You know, a lot of people uh, just fall behind uh and then they stop you know they get discouraged and so that's you know for me the key has been like what is sustainable for me if i put too much work into any one episode i'm just gonna get burned out that much earlier so that's why i've been doing it for like you know eight years at this point i got jesus christ uh
0: <laughs> the sudden realization
1: oh god eight, Oh my god it will well i mean 2000 late it was august 2007 so when jane kind will be eight fucking years jesus Oh man, I actually
0: picked up you guys right after you started. That's weird. I didn't realize it.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a gradual process. It's just that we're here and that we have great, we have good quality uh, material. And, you know, uh, we haven't, like, the Patreon's optional, obviously. Uh, the only thing that's behind the paywall is the After Hours podcast, which I'll probably release after, like, a year or something like that. I'll just, you know, so you get them a year earlier or whatever. Uh, but,. Um, yeah, no, and so I think it's that, I mean, just a combination of actors. Um, there's just not many other podcasts that release that long or have a varied background. Most of them are really focused on, like, Cthulhu or D&D or Pathfinder or That's It. And, like, we also do a lot of one-shots, too, that I think helps, uh, because people can just dip into one system and then, uh, ignore the other stuff if they're not interested in it. So yeah
0: all right yeah that's that's awesome um thanks for talking with me um yeah those two questions didn't go as long as i planned uh i might just splice this all into one thing enjoy internet i'm gonna cut this deal Uh, with it deal with it exactly thank you for having me uh thank you for talking with me uh it's been lots of fun and uh once again where are you at uh where can the internet find you
1: uh roleplay public radio we have two websites uh rppr is at slangdesign.com slash rppr and then rppr actual play uh is at actualplay.roleplayingpublicradio.com uh so are you just google them they're they're actually they come up pretty high uh on the googles uh and i sent uh travis here some of the links to the episodes we mentioned like the Eliminators and the haunting uh which are you know masterpieces Uh, of role-playing, especially The Haunting, Uh, so you take a listen to those.
0: And I will provide links for that either on the website or to anybody that decides to listen to this for the radio show on Thursday. Alright, well, thanks again for having me talk to you. Um, Good night, internet, and goodbye, radio guys.